This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. Our guest this week is Senate Ag Committee Chairman Pat Roberts. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Healthy Hives, Bayer's Bee Health Research Initiative. Since 2015, Bayer's Healthy Hives Research Initiative has worked to help beekeepers around the world improve the health of their colonies. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Kansas Senator Pat Roberts next. Healthy Hives, a bee health research initiative led by the Crop Science Division of Bayer and the nonprofit Project IFAS, has been extended through 2023. Launched in 2015, Healthy Hives has funded research projects with academic institutions across the world with one goal in mind, to help beekeepers improve the health of their colonies. With more than $1.8 million in funding support from Bayer, Healthy Hives researchers have conducted projects covering multiple aspects of beekeeping, ranging from nutrition and genetics to hive management. The research conducted under Healthy Hives could have a dramatic, tangible impact on the future health of pollinators, as well as the viability of beekeeping, both of which are crucial to the world's food supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. For 40 years, the people of Kansas have chosen Pat Roberts to represent them on the Hill in Washington, D.C. Roberts has served as chair of both the House and Senate Ag Committees and played a crucial role in eight different farm bills. In his final speech on the Senate floor, Roberts gave tribute to his family, recalled his political career, and concluded his remarks saying, The upper chamber is not in a good place today. This is not normal. Unfortunately, it's getting to be normal, and we need a new normal. And how do you do that? Well, you first, right off the bat, you got to know somebody. you got to get to know somebody. you got to, basically, nobody knows here anymore. And then all of a sudden, you, that ugly head of uh, partisan politics takes over. And then people play the partisan card, and it's basically based on power and more power. And uh, in the meantime, you, uh, you suggest things that would completely change the moorings of what the Senate's all about. And we would simply become the House of, uh, of Representatives and jam up the Supreme Court and all sorts of things. that We, we just don't need to do that. I, th- I think if we would get along a little bit better, everybody would agree that, and uh, maybe we might get something done, like the COVID package that we're still wrestling with. What's the best we can hope for out of a COVID bill, and does agriculture get shortchanged in that? I hope not. We're we're trying very hard to make our case that we still uh, have a lot of suffering in rural America, not only in agriculture, but throughout you know rural and small town America, especially the rural uh, health care uh, delivery system. There are some things that we'd like to see in COVID. I still don't know precisely whether we have a real good chance uh, with those who are uh, working on this. Uh, they're very open to suggestions. I have three basic things I'd like to see get done. One is related to agriculture. That's a tough job because now, now today with all of the all the politics involved, it's very difficult to get anything done uh, that is fair to everybody. But uh, that's part of uh, the problem of any kind of a joint uh, uh, effort. But uh, I am pleased to see that there are bipartisan efforts. And I am uh, pleased that it's about COVID. And uh, it's long overdue. We need to get another round of relief passed, certainly before Christmas, 
there's no question the American people are hurting and they deserve the assistance. We just have to respond. And we, you know, we can't just keep sitting in concrete and expecting the other person to come along. Senator, how will the agenda of the 117th Congress be influenced by the Georgia Senate races in January? Well, everything, uh, everything is involved. I'm not too sure there's ever been a situation in our U.S. history where you've had one state, uh, and because of state rules of the 50% uh, situation, and it's put off clear until the first part of January. But then you're going to have the control of the Senate basically up in the air until we see uh, who wins. And that has ominous repercussions in that, uh, just take agriculture, for instance, I've been reading of all of the uh, groups that have been uh, talking to the team that, that Joe Biden is putting together, the president-elect, if he is that, and uh, I think he probably is. And uh, I'll tell you what, this is not production agriculture. This, this isn't uh, <laughs> our farmers and ranchers and growers. Uh, these are uh, folks that are highly effective on the environmental side, the Green New Deal, some things about trade that are just very counterproductive. I worry about that. Uh, we had a lot of that in the Obama administration on the regulatory front. I could see a lot of that coming back. Uh, not only does it basically drive agriculture or all of our farm organizations and farmers, ranchers, growers nuts with the, with the regulation to begin with, it doesn't make much sense. It's very costly, very difficult to get any administration to back up on some of that. That's one of the things that Trump did that uh, really helped the economy as a whole, not only uh, not only agriculture. So I've been reading about all the all the people involved. Uh, we've got Tom Vilsack uh, as secretary. I got along with Tom fine when I uh, was chairman, and he was still um, and and also when I was ranking um, when he was secretary. So he he knows the job, but it's uh, all those folks. And the agencies that are, um, uh, you know, the undersecretaries and then who works for them. It uh, seems to me we've got an awful lot of uh, a rerun of the uh, Obama administration. And if the regulation is such that that, it, that that happens again to the degree that it did, I'm reminded of the old cowboy out west, uh, way out there on the border, and he was pulling on his hat, and he says, Pat, I don't uh, I don't feel governed, I feel ruled. And some of the rules and regs applied to him just were, <laughs> it was just nuts. And so um, I hope that doesn't happen. And the Georgia election means everything because the Senate could then be the firewall or at least be a voice of regulatory sanity that uh, we wouldn't have to worry about that that much. Senator, how does the president-elect's intentions toward this Paris Climate Agreement strike you in terms of the energy needs of the nation, everything from agriculture to industry? I have no quarrel at all with the goals of the accord, but we, of course, would agree to do everything yesterday at great cost and not in a stage-by-stage -stage, you know, process. They haven't, and uh, once you get China... And once you get uh, Asia and uh, once you get uh, India on board, instead of delaying it for 35 years down the road or 30, and uh, that's not an accord. I mean, that's just another big, huge tax and a loss of jobs and a lot of, 
uh, a lot of things that uh, you know happen to agriculture that are very counterproductive. So yeah, I'm worried about it. Uh, I just don't think that you can pass a climate accord that has teeth in it that really accomplishes anything. And I see a lot of things that can be very, very counterproductive. And it's not across the board. It doesn't really deal with the people that are causing the problem. The last numbers I saw on that, that uh, last 10 years we have reduced our carbon emissions by 14%. That brings up another issue. Everybody's talking about carbon sequestration. We've been talking about that for 20 years, maybe 25, even in the House when I was back in the House. Uh, you know, trying to figure out anything that could be part of a farm bill that could pass, it could be a benefit to farmers. Farmers, ranchers, and growers are doing that already. I mean, that's in their best interest to do that. Well, how do you pay for that? How do you equate that? Uh, AgriPulse has done a great series on that, and the department is studying, I think they're about on phase three or something now, on what what would be a carbon sequestration program that would really make a difference and also make a difference or primarily make a difference to agriculture and then also benefit the environment and that you could actually pay a farmer something uh, or the farmer would get some kind of financial benefit for carbon sequestration. But the idea this is brand new is not true. Maybe we have today a lot more technology and a lot more research that will back this up and then they could figure out, okay, how do we do this? Senator, you've been a part of bringing about change in farm programs from supply management, sodbuster, swampbuster, freedom to farm, and now there is plenty of talk about a climate-centered policy for farm programs. Is this a natural evolution, or is this a trend to an end? Well, probably both. Um, I'm not sure how I define that. That's what I was talking about before. Some of these are very old ideas brought up uh, to the current situation because everybody... Uh, is concerned about climate change and CO2 and the weather changing and all of that. I think, again, it has to be based on sound science. That's in the eyes of the beholder. But some of these ideas I don't think make much sense. Uh, other ideas are pretty exciting. I could get into a whole laundry list of that, but all of it involves technology and research. And you really have to make those investments and make sure that what you're talking about really makes sense and works and is and that there's a cost-benefit yardstick applied to it uh, so the costs don't outweigh the benefits simply because people think that uh, we need to take more you know, carbon out of the atmosphere. I think that's probably a given. We'll just have to see, but uh, that it, 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 you're right. At certain times with agriculture program history, there have been trends that really move the program. Uh, the one that I was involved in uh, directly when I first became chairman of the House was a budget factor. We didn't have the money to pay for a normal, whatever that meant, uh, farm program. The 40-year history uh, based on set-asides, loan rates, uh, you know, all of that. And we were paying farmers not to grow anything. That was ridiculous. Our competitors simply increased their production by more than we set aside, and that was that. And then we went to Freedom to Farm to give the farmer that opportunity to plant whatever he or she wanted to plant, on average, depending on what they thought was best for them at that at that particular time. And that resulted in Kansas, but I don't like to say this, but Kansas not being the wheat state so much as corn and soybeans, and then a whole lot of other things, including cotton. 
Uh, we have a situation in Kansas now where I think we're number number 10, 11, around there someplace in terms of uh, cotton production. I told the Cotton Council that that old song by Stephen Foster about cotton fields back home, they were talking about Kansas. They didn't laugh much. Can the USDA use CCC to fund this carbon bank? That's going to depend on whether they come up with a plan that is feasible and that uh, all of your farm organizations take a look at it, your commodity groups take a look at it, same people that uh, contribute to the farm bill, and you come up with a total package. Um, if it seems like it's a good idea and works and isn't uh, something that, that you can't depend on, I mean, CCC has now been used uh, as a result of a trade policy that has really been uh, focused on tariffs. Well, tariffs have retaliation. Well, who gets re- who gets the retaliation? We do in farm country, and that happened. So here we are making direct payments to farmers uh, decided by the Secretary of Agriculture depending on the greatest harm by Mother Nature uh, with regards to farmers and no price recovery for four or five years. And there's $70 billion over three years. My word, we, we got rid of direct payments, except here we are with the CCC. The danger of that kind of money in the CCC is people finally figured out what the CCC fund was and where it came from. <laughs> it's like everything else. If you look at, at the debt and where we are, why, you know, that's that. So let's take a look at carbon sequestration and let's run it through the Melville Sound Science and the commodity groups and ask them, say, hey, is this going to work? Is it? Is it going to work for cotton? Is it going to work for wheat or uh, corn or soybeans or uh, specialty crops, so on and so forth? How how do you measure that? And I think that's what they're doing now in the department and going through five different um, efforts to try to figure it out. Do you think the 2023 Farm Bill includes things like crop insurance, ARC, and PLC, or is that a day gone by given this climate environment and certainly budget situation we may find ourselves in? Well, I hope to hell it in crop insurance. How many times have I heard from uh, OMB and whoever's in OMB and from people in the Freedom Caucus and the people, well, all the people that don't like crop insurance and uh, and they want to get rid of the federal uh, side of it and they want to go to, and they want it to go to small family farms. Uh, that's a farmer up in Vermont that's five foot two and uh, growing you know, some kind of a, um, an organic um, what apple orchard. Uh, I'm being very facetious here, if you hadn't figured that out. <laughs> and uh, I'm just saying the number one issue when we started out on the on the 218 bill, uh, both Deborah and I went all over the place. Crop insurance was the number one concern, uh, because if you run into a problem with Mother Nature, what do you do? And then it can't be just for a particular size of farm. Everybody thinks that a larger operation is somehow um, uh, protected uh, from Mother Nature or lower prices or whatever's going on. And that just means the people who produce most of the food and fiber in this country could be put in a very bad situation. The whole country would be put in a very bad situation. So crop insurance applies to everybody. We always have the exercise, and I mentioned Chuck Grasley before, but he's been the proponent for payment limits. I have suggested to him we ought to try his plan on a uh, uh, a trial basis in, in Iowa and see if it works first. I think there will be more attacks 
on crop insurance. There have been ever since Bob Carey and I expanded it. That is the number one issue on the part of farmers' minds. And remember, all crops get it, you know, especially crops and then our major crops uh, as well. I don't know what we do without it. So one of the things I have said down the road, make sure you understand you will have to fight to save and hopefully improve uh, crop insurance. All the rest of it's up for grabs. Senator Grassley also has mentioned uh, mandating a certain amount of livestock be sold at a live auction as opposed to the trends that we have seen as late. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that was an idea born out of necessity and a crisis. But I think Chuck has had that view for some time. If you go back, uh, the differences held between the producer and then all the packers, I mean, that, that, that's like a sheep and cattle war. That's like you know, reading a Zane Grey novel of the, uh, of the Grahams and the Tewksburys. I think those were the names of the families uh, back in Arizona. So that's been an issue for a long time, and the exacerbation of the of, of what happened with COVID uh, really brought it to a head. It was a serious, very serious uh, uh, situation. If seventy percent of our product is based on a contract uh, situation between the farmer and whoever he is uh, is dealing with, who's buying his crop, and then that crop is a little different, uh, and that crop then depends on other uh, situations in farm country that really add all the components to what we eventually end up with. If, if that's 70% and they're getting a better price for that, why on earth would you want to have a mandate that says 50% is going to have to go on the spot market, which is significantly lower? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I thought there was some things that need to be worked out before we would really get into that. And uh, fortunately, we were able uh, to put that off until we got a little bit of price recovery. And then, I'm, but I'm sure that'll be uh, that'll be an issue that will come back from time to time. I'm going to finish with an easy one, Senator. What do we do with China? <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, on the intelligence side, we've had so many different warnings on them uh, with their infiltration not only with high-tech and not only with our communications, uh, Facebook, uh, Google, uh, Twitter, the whole thing, and then Chinese alleged influence in the elections. Uh, I'm not sure that that is accurate, but there's no, there's no question that we have had some folks uh, come into the country and then get into areas of uh, high-tech and in agriculture and then go back to China. You know, China's on a, uh, I don't know quite what to call it, but uh, a world domination uh, kind of path, and uh, they're big enough to do it, more especially uh, with the military. They have a better blue water navy than we do. We're faster. Uh, we have more firepower, but uh, in the uh, South China Sea especially, once you saw Hong Kong fall, and they're gone uh, in terms of individual liberties and how people uh, used Hong Kong as an investment center, uh, but that's that. Uh, that's yesterday. Well, guess what? I think Taiwan will probably be next, and that's going to be a difficult situation for any administration in its, in its power. Are we going to say what we have said before with all sorts of agreements with Taiwan? And they are making every effort to uh, trade with us big time, and that was a big, big hurdle for them to get done, and they did it on the premise that if they get in trouble, well, they're already in trouble, but if... if if things get out of hand with China, 
That's a big question for us. I don't know if the American public are ready for that or not. That would be a real question. The reason I really brought that up is because when I was in the Marine Corps station in Okinawa, 18,000 Marines, the entire 3rd Marine Division, uh, went on an exercise called Operation Blue Star and uh, staged a landing on Taiwan. And Chiang Kai-shek, he was alive then, and General Lucky was the guy in charge of the 3rd Marine Division. And they stood on the hill and watched it. And uh, First Lieutenant Roberts was uh, was part of that wave and uh, sort of a wild and woolly time. But that really indicated to China, whoa, well, we don't do that anymore. And uh, as a matter of fact, the Marines in part are still on Okinawa, but, but not to the extent they were. And you see, uh, you see Japan now uh, going into uh, the um, the production of uh, of missiles that are or that can reach uh, uh, North Korea. And uh, I don't know about China, but uh, it, they're probably in the same area. That's a big step for them. And the fact that they have uh, decided to become more offensive minded, I think, is based on the knowledge that. They're not sure that America would pull the trigger on their behalf if China attacked them. Uh, and that's happened in the past, I don't know how many times. So it's going to be, um, uh, I would say, the Biden administration or any new administration, that's going to come front and center and uh, pose some difficult questions. That's why I thought the trade with China was so important. If you're trading with China and with their population demands, and if you get into swine fever, which they did, and if you get in, and of course we all know about COVID, but if you get into other situations that really damage their food supply, and you're there and you're trading with them, that's a card we can play with them where things can get a lot calmer. Senator, I want to finish with this. First of all, I'd like to thank you for your service in the military and standing up for our country. And also on behalf of uh, farmers, thank you so much for being in the trenches for agriculture, for so many years. Thanks for being on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and Senator Roberts of Kansas, you got the last word today. I just want to uh, thank everybody out there involved in agriculture for your tremendous partnership. Every time I rode point in the posse on behalf of agriculture, we always look behind to see if the herd's still there. All of our commodity organizations, all of our farm organizations, everybody in the food value chain, we had over a thousand different organizations behind us and the 218 Farm Bill, even though there, there may have been some things that we unfortunately had to leave out or there's something there that they didn't you know, particularly like, but for the total package they were for. People who represent agriculture are blessed. The farmers, the ranchers, the growers in our country are the best. They're great folks, great family folks. They do so much for America and a troubled and hungry world. They're unappreciated. It's been a joy and a blessing for me and a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to do what I've been able to, to do as chairman of both in the House and the Senate and ranking both in the House and Senate and be involved with eight farm bills. You can't deal with finer folks. God bless you. And thank you all. Our thanks to Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Healthy Hives, Bayer's Bee Health Research Initiative. Since 2015, Bayer's Healthy Hives Research Initiative has worked to help beekeepers around the world improve the health of their colonies. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.